This Choircast podcast episode is brought to you by Apostates Anonymous, the show you turn to when you're no longer an evangelical or even a Christian. Join hosts Matthew J. DiStefano and Keith Giles as they tip over just about every sacred cow known to man. You're sure to have a good time if you're a heathen or heretic or apostate or reprobate. If you're an evangelical, maybe you won't have such a good time. But either way, we want you to listen. You can check out Apostates Anonymous wherever you get your podcast fix. Now, on to the show. A bisexual hairstylist who escaped a cult, a black mystic, and a recovering evangelical. What could go wrong? This is the Messy Spirituality Podcast and another messy conversation with Lola Robbins. Welcome back to the Messy Spirituality Podcast. I'm your host, Lola, your favorite hooligan from Birmingham, Alabama. And today I have a special guest for another messy conversation. Um, Shannon is a transgender man who believes in the transformative power of stories. He is an ordained priest, a playwright, screenwriter, and theologian. His first book, In the Margins, A Transgender Man's Journey with Scripture, was published by Erdman's. Did I say that right? Awesome. Thank you so much for coming on, Shannon. Welcome in. <laughs> yeah, thanks so much. Thanks for, so much for having me. I'm really excited to be here. Absolutely. So firstly, we all want to know, how did you grow up in an atmosphere of faith? Like how, how did this all come about? Tell us about your background. I did. So I grew up um, in rural Pennsylvania in a fundamentalist evangelical household. Um, Grace Brethren is a denomination, super, super small. They actually don't even consider themselves a denomination. They consider themselves a fellowship of churches, um, but very, very conservative. And was in that all the way up through college, went to a college that was affiliated with the church that I grew up in. And I was homeschooled from seventh through 12th grade. So my my entire world was really my church. And that was my community. That was where all my friends were. My youth group was like my school group. So yes, very much so grew up in an atmosphere of, of faith. And this is, you know, 90s. So height of purity culture, height of contemporary Christian music. Um, like before it switched over to only praise and worship music. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it was still like actually had some some style yes. to it. That was like the that was the the world that I was growing up in. Yes. I love that. When you it wasn't so so much uh cookie cutter music like Christian music now. I love that. Okay, so tell us about deconstruction. Where did that story start to take place for you? Yeah. So, I mean, for me, I, I was growing up in a time when that word didn't really exist, right? Like mm-hmm. there, there, there was no movement. Rachel Held Evans hadn't started writing. There was like no one that was doing that work. And so for me, a lot of it came about of when I was in my evangelical Christian college and I just started to ask some questions that it felt like A, no one wanted me to be asking and B, no one actually really had answers for. And so that started me like on a journey of, oh, something feels weird here. Uh, And around this time, I was really starting to grapple with sexuality and with realizing that I was primarily attracted to women. This is... Um, in a time when like there is still really no language around gender identity. Like I didn't know trans people existed. They were not in the news or in media. Um, And really at this time too, it was like Ellen DeGeneres had come out. 
Rosie O'Donnell was having her talk show and I think Will and Grace had just started. So so there was starting to be a, a moment of like, oh, we realize like gay people exist and they're in the world. Um, so I was starting to get some of those models. Um, and I think a lot of folks assume that it was my grappling with sexuality that made me start to question my faith. And it actually wasn't. Uh, it was really starting to, to have questions about the theology that I was being taught. I remember taking this theology class in college and the professor would um, tell, would like ask a theological question, would tell two ways the church had answered that in the past and why they were wrong and then tell us what the right answer was. And I just remember sitting in that class being like, I, I don't know, like some of these other answers actually make more sense to me. Like they fit better with like the experience that I'm having of God and the church. Um, and so I started just to ask a lot of questions. And then it was the really the thing that did it was I was reading this book called um, Rescuing Jesus, um, or no, Stealing Jesus by Bruce Bauer. It's about the history of fundamentalism in the United States. And it started talking about the rapture and about how the rapture had been invented by a guy in England like 150 years ago. And I was like, are you kidding me? This this thing that I'd been terrified of, right? My whole life that I was going to be left behind. You know, I read all the left behind books. I saw the terrible first movie with Kirk Cameron. And I was like, some, some dude in England invented this? And then I had this moment of like, if they lied to me about that, what else have they lied about? And that really sent me on this journey of, I need to figure out for myself what I believe. And I can't take, I, I can't take for granted that people are telling me things that are truthful. Because I knew, like I knew that the people in my church, that they must have known that the, where this doctrine came from. Um, and they didn't tell us that. And so that really, that was when I, I really started. So I was probably in my early 20s at this point. Um, and that really, I started to take my entire faith apart and see what was going to come about on the other side. Was there anything left on the other side? I mean, what what did you have to deconstruct really? I mean, obviously you talked about purity culture and you know the stigma around sexuality and things of that nature. So what else? I, I mean, everything. For me, I, I realized that like evangelicalism felt to me like a house of cards and that the whole thing was, was constructed and that if you pulled one of the cards, like the whole thing came down. Um, yes. And so I was spending a lot of time like trying not to bump the table, right? <laughs> <I'm> like, <laughs> okay, the house of cards is here. Like not only do I not want to pull one, but like I also don't want to bump the table. And it wasn't until I was willing to say, you know what, I'm going to knock down the house. I'm going to pick up every single card and I'm going to ask, like, what do I believe about this? Everything from like, who is Jesus? What what happened when Jesus died on the cross? Did Jesus have to die on the cross? What happened to the resurrection? Like, what do I believe about the Bible? What do I believe about sex and relationships and justice and community? Like all of the things. Um, and I really had, I, I felt for myself that I had to be willing, if I was going to do this honestly and authentically, to come to a point where I didn't believe any of it. Um, that I, like I had to, I had to investigate it so deeply that the willingness had to be to let everything go. And for me, I ended up actually hanging on to quite a bit. Um, I, I stayed in Christianity. I still consider myself um, a Christian. I still deeply believe in Jesus and the church. Um, but my faith looks totally different than it did growing up. And 
there is not, I think the big thing was there is not a single thing that I believe just because I'm afraid I'm going to go to hell if I don't believe it. And that was a big shift for me because I had spent a lot of time being terrified of hell. Um, and so it was like really decoupling faith and religion and belief in God away from fear. And, um, and then coming to say like, what, what do I believe? How, and how does this impact how I'm going to move through the world? Um, and it was a long journey. Like it took, it took a lot of years to do all of that. Um, seminary was part of that for me. Um, learning about church history was part of that. Uh, but it, it, I ended up feeling like I, I came through on the other side with a faith that was much healthier, that was much, um, more holistic that like wasn't doing harm to myself or to other people. Um, and none of those things were things that I could have said back in the day. Yeah, no, that that's wonderful, but also really scary that you had to literally pull it all apart. Um, so what did you end up holding on to? You said you held on to like a good amount of things still. Um, and you still, you know, claim Christianity and, you know, believe in Jesus and the church and everything. So what, I guess, what's your, what does your spiritual path look like currently, really? Yeah, I mean, I, well, first I want to say that, like, I don't believe that anyone needs to stay a Christian, um, that that is like not part of my deconstruction <laughs> journey. And like, I've walked now with a ton <laughs> of people through deconstruction. And one of the biggest things that I think it's really important, and I think it's especially important for for folks who do stay and who are clergy and consider themselves Christians to stay that like, you don't have to stay. Um, And that honestly, for a lot of people, either you need to take some time away. um, And that could be like a lot of time away where you like, just let it go. Don't read the Bible. Don't go to church. um, Do what you need to do to heal. Uh, And for some people that that is also like, you need to take a permanent, you need you need to break permanently. Um, cut the ties, I, yeah. Cut the ties because there's been so much trauma that it's not actually, you can't actually heal the trauma that's been done to have a healthy relationship. And it, and for me, it's like, I believe that when Jesus said, I have come so that you have abundant life, that like he meant it. And if you can't have an abundant life within Christianity, then you like gotta go find a spiritual path somewhere. And part of my work is helping people like leave Christianity and leave it well to be like, I'm going to walk away and I'm going to find something else that um, feeds my soul. And that is a place where I can connect with the divine and connect with other people. Um, So I I feel like it's important for me to say that. Leave it well. I love that. Yeah, because I think that that part of the issue, especially for those of us who grew up in fundamentalism or like in really strict evangelicalism, is that there is a danger that we can leave, but not actually leave. Right. Like we're not going to church anymore, mm-hmm. but we're still carrying all that stuff with us. We're still carrying. And so then our entire posture becomes about what our faith isn't and what we're rejecting, but we don't actually have anything that feels like this is what I'm for. And I think that that posture of like rejection is, is actually really important. It's a stage in the journey, but I think if you get stuck there, it's actually does a lot of harm to people. And so, it, so it's about like, how do we, how do we help you like move through that? So you can actually be like, I'm, I'm leaving that behind and it, and it doesn't, I'm not going to carry it with me and it's not going to weigh on me every single day as I figure out whatever is next for me. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So is it safe to say that, you know, part of what what you do to help others is help them to 
navigate letting go of things and I don't know, like logistically, how does how does that work? Like, what does that look like when you are helping someone kind of navigate the deconstruction process and not, I guess, lose everything or lose it all and then come back to something better? Yeah, I mean, so I'm I'm a little bit of a nerd, and so I, I have found <laughs> that like reading books around and about um, has been helpful, not only for my process but for other folks too. I, because I find that evangelicalism is such a vacuum, right? That there, it's like it's a self-contained system that makes sense when you're in it, but honestly, doesn't make a lot of sense from outside. But part of that is like you have to figure out what is outside of the vacuum, and so for me, that has been you know, reading books about the Bible instead of just reading the Bible. It's been learning church history. And when you realize that like for the first thousand years of the church that no one believed that Jesus had to die for our sins, it suddenly you're like, oh, wait a second. There is a, there's a much healthier and different view of understanding Jesus's death, for instance, that like isn't, trauma porn that I've got to carry and feel guilty about. And that suddenly then it becomes like, oh, if, if, we, if we can open up some space, then we can feel differently. So, so some of it is, is doing that. Like, I'm going to walk with folks on like, here's how to read the Bible like scholars do. Here's a little bit about church history. Here's how you can understand like the context of empire and how that impacted the New Testament. So that's like kind of the nerdy piece of it. But then there is this piece of like, let's help you think about what you're grieving and actually make space for you to name what you miss, um, what you miss about community, what you miss about worship, what you miss about how it used to feel. Let's make space for you to just be fucking pissed off for a while and be angry at the people that lied to you, be angry at the harm that was done, right? Like, I, I think that we have to make space for the the difficult emotions, for the hard stuff. And walking with folks where it's both education and the feeling, I think gives folks space to start to say, okay, well, what, what might I believe? What do I, what, what about this Jesus story still resonates me, if anything? Or if not, like, what is it that I value and how do I want to live out those values? Probably in community, in some way. And community can look like your queer game night. It can look like a church service. It can look like a dinner party, right? It doesn't have to look like it did. But it, I, but I do think that for me, faith and Christianity in particular, but like all of kind of justice work calls us to being in community with people. And so figuring out what that looks like um, and how we can create some of the work is around like, how, how do you create and name rituals for yourself? Some that are religious, some that are um, completely secular, but that feel, that feel like they're creating space for you to connect with other people, to connect with something bigger than yourself. Like all of that is, is part of the work. Yeah, that's wonderful. I love to hear that. The, especially the part about honoring your past self in the place that you were at and the fact that it no longer serves you and then respecting the path forward and changing perspective, adjusting perspective. That's beautiful. I love that. Thank you for sharing that. I, I want to hear about your book. So I read a little bit of it. T- tell our audience about it because I'm interested. I know they will be too. Yeah. So it, it's kind of a weird book in that um, it's a bit of a hybrid memoir. Um, so part of it is me telling my story, 
but I'm telling my story through the lens of 10 stories from the Bible and kind of retelling those Bible stories um, and asking what might reading those 10 Bible stories through a trans lens uh, have to say, not just to other trans people, but to queer folks, to cis and straight folks, um, and to invite kind of everyone into this process of both seeing themselves in scripture, but also reading scripture from the perspective of a a marginalized person. Um, And so again, it's like part, part of it is my journey of of growing up in the church that I did, of coming out, of transitioning. Um, But it's also a a deep reflection of scripture um, that is both grounded in scholarship, but is also really, I I tried to be really accessible and personal um, and so that folks who don't, fancy spending their weekends reading a scholarly tome on scripture can hopefully pick it up and and re-engage with these Bible stories. Um, and one of my kind of the, my favorite thing that I'm hearing from folks is from folks who are saying like, I'm not trans, but like I saw myself in these stories. I saw myself in the questions that you were asking. And that to me is what I was hoping for. Like, obviously I want trans folks to see themselves um, and to have permission to, to do this work as well. But I also wanted to open up a conversation of like, when we do theology from particular spaces, whether that's trans folks or queer folks or women or black folks or womanist theology, um, it's not just for the folks from those communities, it's for all of us. Like it helps us to see and to read scripture in new ways that broaden the conversation, I think in really powerful ways. Yes, no, I agree with that. And I really like your perspective on everything. And you're just amazing, honestly. (laughs) (laughs) I I feel like that's such a creative thing to do to like um, rewrite these stories from the perspective of someone that's trans and like to be able to identify yourself in the story whether trans or not, you know, um, that was, that's my favorite part of this whole thing is it's so malleable to every lifestyle, every person you can find yourself in the stories and it kind of rewrites the narrative to a lot of those stories and, uh, changes the ending, turns the tables in a lot of ways or Michael Scott, how the turntables. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And I think that for many of us who grew up in traditions where we were told our voices didn't matter, that we were secondary, that this, it, it, part of doing this work and giving other people permission, I mean, not that you need my permission, but sometimes it helps to have permission, um, that, that, that I, I think enables folks to say, oh, like I can read scripture and see myself in these texts and I can wrestle with it and I can ask questions and, and there are also times when I, like, I can look at a text and be like, I don't know, this is like actually really harmful to my community or to women or to, you know, reading from a marginalized perspective. And then that naming that uh, is part of it too. And that that is actually a deeply faithful approach to scripture. Um, and it's one that I think like, that is how scholars approach it. That is how many, many communities have approached it. And so for those of us that were grew up being told we weren't allowed to question it. I think it's it's really healing to be told that actually you can and you should and lots of people have. And like, that's actually the faithful and holy response. Yes, I think intentional questioning and challenging of the things around you only deepens, you know, whatever the truth is. So, I mean, I don't think you ever get too far from the truth questioning. I think it just brings you closer. 
So yeah, I, I can agree with that sentiment. Thank you so much for sharing with us today. Is there anything else that you want to talk to our audience about or anything else that you'd like to tell us? Yeah, I mean, I think I think for for me, I, I I know that this process of deconstruction can be really, really terrifying and scary. It can feel really, really lonely and isolating. And I just want to encourage folks to know that there are so, so many people that are in the process, that have gone through the process, um, that are thinking about the process that like, even if you feel really alone, you're not alone. And I encourage you to like reach out and find those communities of people, find spaces where you are not only like allowed, but encouraged to show up as your full self. And that means like all of your identities, but also all of your questions and all of your uh, emotions and hurt and history, like really seek out those spaces and do this work in community because it is scary. And to do it, I I think to do it in community makes it slightly less scary um, and also gives you a space to kind of get out of your head and get into your body and into into justice work and all of that helps you to move through this process. I I think in a way that uh, will help you feel healthier and more whole and um, more connected as you're doing it. Yes, absolutely. Thank you so much for sharing that, Shannon. That's really encouraging. I know that I needed that. I needed to hear that. I'm still, I'll always be deconstructing. As long as I'm alive, I'll always be going through this faith evolution process and ever changing. Um, so I just really thank you for sharing your story with us. Um, how can our audience connect with you online? Yes. So I am at Shannon TL Kearns on all of the social medias. Um, I do TikTok badly because I'm old now. <laughs> uh, but, so Instagram is the place where I like spend the most of my time, but I'm on all of them. So you can find me there. But you can also find me at queertheology.com and we're on all of the socials at either at Queer Theology or at Q Theology. I do that with my partner, um, my partner in thought, Brian G. Murphy. We've been creating resources specifically for queer and trans and polyamorous folks who want to figure out where they stand in Christianity and faith and how to integrate those things more fully. And so we've got everything from like, is it okay to be gay and trans all the way up to how how does my polyamory helps me understand God and church better? So like wherever you are on that spectrum, we have resources for you. Um, we've got an online community. So we'd love to, to connect with you wherever you're at on your journey. I'm definitely going to be checking that out. So <laughs> I hope that you guys will too. Thank you so much for tuning in with us. Uh, I hope that you enjoyed this interview with Shannon. Please check out all of the details in the show notes um, if you want to know how to get in contact with him and follow him and his content. Otherwise, I just want to thank you guys for being here. We love you. We appreciate you. You matter wherever you're at. We're happy as hell to have you. So we love you. 